Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Adam, and this is the Do Big Things Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, where we want you to do big things. We offer support for your ultra marathon in the way of crewing or pacing. We also offer personalized coaching and comprehensive training plans. We can help you get to the start of your big things, or we can help you get to the finish. We can coach you up, or we can crew you in. Whatever your big things are, we want to help. Big-things-crewing.com My guest today has been running around Colorado as long as I've been in the state. I actually forgot to mention this to him during our conversation, but when I first met Eric Lee, we were doing a training run for Quad Rock 50 Miler, and he was out there. I remember him finding a half a pack of cigarettes on the ground that someone had left, and he picked them up and somehow like stuck them to the hat that he was wearing. And I think he ran for 25 miles with the smokes on the outside of his hat. Uh, that's how I remember it, anyhow. Um, so even though he's... Uh, you know, a brilliant scientist, he's, he's got a sense of humor, and I like the guy instantly. He's got a long list of ultramarathons that he's completed, and he was the sixth person ever to complete Nolan's 14. I caught up with him. We talked about his latest FKT and everything else he's been up to over the last few years. Hey, look, uh, I'm always looking for new ways to improve my fitness my mood, and anything to help me with my energy. I'm big into supplements and anything that's organic and helps me get out the door for my runs. Lately, I've been geeking out over rhodiola. I guess people in Russia and Scandinavian countries have been using it to treat anxiety, fatigue, and depression for centuries. Rhodiola is an herb that grows in the cold mountain regions of Europe and Asia. I've been using it for the last few weeks and I feel fantastic. I take these little ultra-focus and energy-packed vitamins, and it gives me more energy and stamina to do whatever I need to do. I have a lot going on, as I'm sure you guys do as well, and I don't always feel like getting that workout in after my workday. So I've been taking this pack of vitamins at around 2 in the afternoon, and I always have enough energy to get my run in, plus everything else I need to do for the day. Here are seven science-based health benefits of rhodiola. It can decrease stress, can fight fatigue, reduce symptoms of depression. It improves brain function. It improves exercise performance. It helps to control diabetes and also has anti-cancer properties. If you guys need anything in the way of supplements, send me an email. I can get you set straight. I take everything, but rhodiola is the newest one in my regiment, and it's been blowing my mind. Uh, I can get you guys energy drinks, and they're nice, healthy ones. They're not the sugary, sugary, crappy ones. Uh, hit me up. Shoot me an email. Big-things-crewing.com. So, Mr. Eric Lee, he just set an FKT for the most 14ers climbed in a 24-hour period. I'll let him tell you all about it. It's a great conversation. I really enjoyed chatting with him, and he's just a cool, really down-to-earth guy. Uh, Really appreciated him coming on the show. He's coming up right after this. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Eric Lee. Hey, Adam. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Not too bad. Good. What's happening? How you been, man? Good, mostly, you know, just doing kind of like everybody else, running around the mountains and trying to distract myself from the rest of all the mess that's going on in life. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Running around the mountains is a good thing. Yep. How how has this uh, mess uh, affected you this year? Um, interesting kind of balance of things, uh, working biotech and we've actually been pretty busy because we've picked up a lot of the slack for some of the companies I've closed down. So, um, work-wise been really busy overall, but you know, been staying home, no big trips, of course, just kind of run around Colorado in the West and enjoying a lot more local stuff and with friends. So it's been a good thing. Yeah. Perfect. That sounds all right. Were you yeah, signed up? Not too bad. Any, were you signed up for any races this year? Yeah, I was in a couple. Uh, I was in three of them, of course. They all, not of course, but three, all three got canceled this year and postponed to next year. So yep. we'll see what happens. Okay. Were they all rollovers? Uh, two of them were. One of them was actually a refund, and then they're, they're going to open up registration again, uh, Boston Marathon. So it's a little oh. bit different kind of a, a different. Yeah, different situation than most other races. Okay. Anything international, or was it all around here? Nope, it was all like the the other two trail races were both call, local Colorado races actually, and so uh, the San Juan Solstice got unfortunately postponed for a second year in a row, and then High Lonesome. Oh, yep, yep, okay, cool. Well, listen, man, I'm super excited to have you on. I, I I've always looked up to you because you were one of the early Nolan's finishers. I think you were like the sixth per- person to ever complete that line. So um, I've always looked up to you in that sense, but. Um, Tell us about your latest adventure, man. You did, uh, I think it was 11 14ers in under 24 hours, which was the FKT. Um, I'm excited to hear about it, man. Like, break it down. How did you make this happen? Um, certainly, yeah. So I guess kind of just have it back a little bit too. It's, uh, the kind of the, the idea and the concept in general was born out of a 14ers.com discussion seven years ago now. Um, just people asking like, how many can you climb in a day? Is it possible to climb more than five, like six or seven or like, and which ones would it be? And so just got, got my, got my gears thinking about, you know, kind of as a fun project of like trying to figure out not only, you know, physically, but like, you know, logistically, what, what, what could be put together? Yeah. So, yeah. uh, first, yeah, first made a first attempt at this in 2013, so, uh, ended up getting nine that year. Okay. And then just kind of kind of called it because it was you know, a little beat up and just kind of like, didn't have the logistics quite down. So, you know, learning experiences. Um, but since then, there have been a handful of other guys who have gone after it. And the mark was pushed up to 11 in 22 hours even um, earlier this year, actually. And was kind of looking for some inspiration like throughout the year. And I had the idea of to go back and kind of finish off the line I had started seven years ago and try to put together the uh, the ultimate goal of, you know, trying to get 12 was was the main goal. but just kind of obviously didn't quite make it there this time in particular, but definitely think it's possible. You still got 11. That's still pretty phenomenal, man. Yep. So the yep. one that was no, done was earlier it. this year, was that done by Chris McDonald? 
there were actually a cu- several that were done earlier this year. Um, can't remember all the names of the, of the guys who have done who did it, but the more, most recent FKT was done about a month ago in the middle of August in 2020 okay. by uh, Luke J, uh, local oh, yeah. ultra runner from out this area. Yep. Okay. Got it. So you're not familiar with Chris McDonald? Do you know him at all? Uh, I, I know who he is. I, I'm not familiar with his particular run, though. Yeah. Okay. okay. Because he was, and I'm not trying to sh- throw shade at what he did or what you did, but he was kind of boasting this as a world record. And I think he did 11 peaks and mm-hmm. right around the same time. And I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. I guess a world record is kind of an FKT, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's a. I guess it's a, the, the distinction is usually made, and this is kind of how Buzz and Peter frame it on the FKC site, is that it's called the fastest known time because rather than like a world record, because it's not really a sanctioned kind of a, I guess, a, a sanctioned tracked nationally or even internationally. Um, kind of like, I guess, record of any any sort. And so it's, you're reporting the fastest time that's known to the public at the moment rather than being an officially recorded event of any sort. Okay. Um, okay. So, so that's, that's kind of the, just minor distinctions, semantics maybe, but um, so I, I did see somebody posting about that in particular. And I think they had posted, it was like just under 24 hours, which is actually slower than Luke's time from about a month ago. Got it. Okay. Okay. Now, were you following like Luke's um, route in in order, like in, with the mountains in that order, or did you have a different way of approaching this, or, or how did you come up with with your approach? Uh, so the approach is kind of this had once again born out of like the original attempt back in 2013 in the general order, um, and then I, I did modify it for this particular attempt, kind of based off of just some like just some thoughts that I had coming out of that original attempt, plus kind of seeing some other guys go after it, and then realizing that. It's kind of a, it's it's not just trying to climb as mountains as fast as you can, but it's finding the most efficient groupings of mountains to get the most, you know, in that time frame. Obviously, without because eventually you run out of time just driving from place to place, and so there's only so much you can fit into logistically, no matter how fast you are on the mountains. Right. Um, so I use a similar setup to what Luke had used for his, uh, except for that when I got to the last the last group of mountains, which would be the Missouri Gulch and kind of uh, Winfield area out in the Sawatch. I went the opposite direction from when he did to give myself the option of trying to finish on Huron, which would, be, would have been mountain number 12, but I ended up running out of time, unfortunately, on that particular mountain. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So if you don't mind, just like walk us through it. Um, I mean, 24 hours, it's a day, like walk us through your day. I mean, you must've gotten right. up early <laughs> in the morning. It looks like Mount Evans was your first one. I'm, I'm curious, like where you started did you start up at, uh, um, what is it, Summit Lake up there, or did you start a little bit further down? Yeah, so certainly. So, yeah, definitely early morning start. friend picked me up at 4.30. We rolled out to uh, Mount Evans Road at about, you know, around, around 6 o'clock. Okay. Um, and so as part of this, I guess, challenge, if you want to call it, or FKT, um, I originally kind of designated it to utilize the 3,000-foot rule, um, which in Colorado who generally states that you have to start and and finish 3,000 feet below the below the summit or at the group of summits that you're running, whichever it may be, um, before you can you know, get in a car, get aid. So, but that does it excludes people from you know driving up Mount Evans or driving up Pikes Peak, for example, or taking an ATV up the top of like Sherman. So, so it requires you to basically actually run up and down the mountain. So it does add some additional mileage from some normal trailheads as well in that regard. Okay. Um, so, so my day started at about 11,100 feet or so on the Mount Evans Road. So on the roadside itself. Okay. Um, and just ran up the road early in the morning. 
um, which is kind of nice this time of year because actually this year it's completely closed down. So it's just, you know, it's, yeah, it's true. Completely wide open, no car, no car traffic. So, yeah. okay, perfect. Um, yeah. So for Mount Evans, then and duck off on the uh, off trail uh, section that connects over to Beerstadt. And so you hit the sawtooth, which has some class three scrambling across there. And you scramble up the backside of Mount Beerstadt and then just book it on down to Guanella Pass. Uh, and this, and then Guanella Pass is one of the spots that ends up being kind of, it's somewhat contrived in the way, but like you end up running down about half a mile of the road to get 3,000 feet below the summit of Mount Beerstadt as well um, oh, before you hop in the vehicle. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and, and so I, so I'd coordinated with a friend of mine actually to crew and support me. And so she had actually driven around and picked me up at, on the Guanella Pass road. And then we drove over to Stevens Gulch for uh, Gray's and Tories. Gray's and Tories. And then just kind of. Okay. Yep. They just kind of book it up and down Tories over to Gray's on the kind of standard route and back down to the trailhead. And, um, and then from there, it was just, we said the goal was basically to be as efficient as possible. So I'd get down to the trailhead. She'd have food, water sitting in the car for me. I'd hop on in and we just drive right off. Okay. Uh, so then from Gray's and Tories, we went on over to Quandry. And for Quandry, I do something a little different than a lot of the, or the several other people who have tried this as well. Um, rather than using the standard East Ridge route, which is where the trail runs, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I go up and down the mountaineering route on the uh, south side uh, called Cristo Coolar. Oh, um, okay. I'm not familiar. The reason I do this, yeah, it's it's utilized more people as a ski route, but as a, I mean, it's a steep, kind of a little bit loose, kind of talisy section, but from 11,200 feet to the summit, it's two miles directly. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's an incredibly short route and very direct <laughs> Yeah. Um, the nice thing also is it keeps you off the main trail, so you're not dealing with other people. You don't have to worry about traffic at all, and so it's a very just short and efficient route. It keeps you kind of away from the masses sometimes if it gets busy on the other side. Okay. So laundry was a fast one. Yeah. So they're all relatively quick in general, but that kind of the goal once again is just kind of getting up and down as efficiently as possible, even if you're not you know running the entire time, just making good efficient time from summit to car and back. So that was like a little, a little over two hours or so. Did you just send the trip? went up mm -hmm. okay got yeah it descended the same way and so like the initial mile you lose about 2300 feet of vertical in the first mile um so you're still i mean not traveling faster than about two miles an hour but once again you're down to, i was down to the car in 37 minutes from the summit on that way wow. oh that's booking <laughs> so okay okay and so did yeah. you have one crew person throughout this whole thing yeah, I had one friend who was crewing me and kind of like basically acting as a kind of a driver slash, you know, resupply point um, for the whole thing. And so um, most of them are, you know, you're going from point to point from like one trailhead with the exception being Gray's and uh, uh, Beerstadt and Evans at the very beginning and then Missouri Gulch Trio at the very end. So okay. it's not too difficult as a crew person to kind of do from one to the other. And there's nice long breaks in between that they can kind of just hang out and relax as well. For sure. I'm trying to think. So if you went up Mount Evans and came down Beerstad, that's kind of a long drive for her all the way around, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit of a drive. I think it's, I think it was, it was timed to be about 45 minutes or so. Um, okay. It's all paved road, which is nice, so, so it can go pretty quickly. Okay. Um, but the run through takes about three hours or so um, to yeah. go up and over those two guys and back down. Got it. So it gives you plenty of time. For sure. Okay. And so what was her her job throughout all this i mean was she driving 90 miles an hour to get you there as fast as possible or were there any rules set on her or, or how did that go for her oh uh, we actually had this little discussion at the beginning and the general consensus was and like kind of the agreement was that you know we're not going to be breaking any laws definitely driving speed limits but just 
once again, just making the transitions, especially as efficient as possible. So okay. like her main job was once again, I had a list of kind of like necessary food, water resupply, resupply for each leg of the, or each set of 14ers. So she pull all that stuff out and have that ready for me. So that when I got done, I just hop in the car and, and all my supplies would be right there. And then she'd just drive off to the next spot. And then as soon as we get there, I'd hop out and just go straight onto the trail again. Okay. So you are re resupplying your bag while she's just doing the driving. Yep. Yeah. So I'm resupplying the bag, plus obviously rehydrating, eating some real food along the way, and then kind of working on the legs, massaging the legs out and stretching them a little bit. So nice. taking care of like a lot of the, just the, the rehab stuff along the way. Wow. This sounds like an exciting 24 hours, man. Okay. So I'm with you um, yeah. up and down quandary. Yep. Yeah. From quandary, it's actually like you're basically right at Hoosier Pass. So you're hopping right over the pass and then down into Alma and then you head up to the uh, Kite Lake Road. Okay. And so the once again this is one of the ones where you so starting at eleven thousand one hundred feet you're about 800 900 feet below the actual trailhead itself so it's a good bit a little of road jogging to get up to the base of it gotcha um but they put me on democrat at about i think it was about six or six six thirty in the evening and had the democrat lincoln and bross kind of trio to myself kind of right around sunset which was pleasant because it usually those are just super swamped and crowded with people and you know, it's a rare instance that you get a normal standard route in a 14 or like that to yourself. Yeah. So what about Cameron? Uh, uh, yeah, I see you go right over the top of Cameron. Um, for my total, I didn't count Cameron. Most of the guys haven't as well because it's not deemed an official Colorado 14 er Okay. I think it only has about 150 to 180, maybe 150, 200 feet of vertical, like between it and Mount Lincoln. And sure. so it's considered by a lot of people just to be the kind of the shoulder of the saddle amount Lincoln basically. Okay. Okay. So there's different ways to look at this. I mean, technically mm -hmm. you did do 12 14ers in 24 hours. And if you count Cameron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, definitely it's, once again, it's, it's definitely, it's, it, it would be the 12th if you're counting in, in that regard as well. And so and, and pretty much all the other guys who have done it in that way have done Cameron as well, of course. So yeah, there's a right on route. Okay. Okay. And was your, was your crew chief, was she following the exact same uh, driving routes that other people had done this in the past? Oh, uh, I'm actually, I haven't checked that in particular. I, I'd assume so. Cause the, it's, it's kind of the standard routes. I mean, almost like the Google routes more or less between the different peaks. Um, okay. So from the, from my original intent, I actually removed Sherman from the, from what I had done originally. Um, in 2013, mostly because it was kind of a detour and a single mountain by itself. And so I found it, thought it'd be more efficient to go over to the Sawatch and try to link up more of those guys together. Okay. Where there are more mountains that are all kind of close and clustered. Yep. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. So then you headed off to the Sawatch range, right? From uh, the trio, mm -hmm. then um, you went to Missouri Gulch Trailhead. Is that right? Yeah. So that's what, I, yeah, that's what, I, that was one of where my kind of route differed from Luke J's previous route. So, okay. yeah, we drove out from, you know, through Buena Vista out to Winfield road. And it was a, for me, it was a kind of a nice break actually, cause you know, I've been going up mountains nonstop with like 20 or 30 minutes in between for pretty much all day. So having like an hour and a half or so to actually lay down and close my eyes for a few minutes and actually eat some food was kind of a welcome reprieve for the moment. Nice. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I started at Missouri Gulch for my kind of like last grouping of mountains where Luke actually had a Jeep and he, so they went up to Colossi Lake, which is between Huron and Missouri. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah, so it takes you a bit higher elevation wise, but it's also a bit more driving because it's a pretty rough Jeep road and it takes anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes extra to drive up there. Yeah, big so time. So once again, it's a toss up between, you know, a little more walking or a little more driving kind of like time wise. Okay, okay. So, so you opted for the walking. Um, 
Yeah, partially because I don't have a Jeep, so <laughs> okay. I couldn't get myself up that road. Oh, yeah, that's a rough yeah. road. I've driven up it before, and it takes a long time. So, mm -hmm. Okay, so mm -hmm. um, Missouri, then to uh, – or no, wait, you did Belford, Oxford, then Missouri? Yeah, so I went up the standard route to Belford first, straight up Missouri Gulch, and definitely that's where I kind of started to feel pretty worn down at that point. I and bet. I was noticing that I was definitely having some uh, some kind of pulmonary inflammation, definitely some breathing issues, and so – it's definitely slowing me down on the on the climb up the hill. Okay. Um, that plus, you know, it being the middle of the night and being really cold up there probably didn't help as well. For sure. Unfortunately. Yeah. Have you had breathing so, issues in the uh, past while you're up that high? Uh, I have off and on, yeah. So this was, I mean, this one was a little bit different. I do have exercise-induced asthma, so that's a known issue that I kind of deal with. Um, this one felt more like kind of a rawness in my throat and like it was just it's in a little more congestion. And so obviously don't know the exact causes, but you know, it was, it was smoky in the morning on Friday when I started mm -hmm. plus, you know, being chilly up high and then just like the constant high altitude, there's probably a lot of stressors that, you know, can lead to that type of thing. For sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Belford and then to Oxford, that's a pretty quick jaunt over mm -hmm. and then, uh, up Missouri summit. Did you take the, um, what is it? The Southeast Ridge up, uh, Missouri. Yeah, so that's that's been kind of my standard route, and like I've I've tried a couple different routes over the over the years from from Nolan's as well, and sure, um, I usually drop my my personal preferences, especially when I'm really tired and it's dark outside. It's kind of hit Elkhead Pass and then drop down that south side and curl around to the the uh, the Iowa Saddle over on that southeast side and oh, kind of like trudge up that way. Gotcha. Um, okay. So cool. Um, mostly because it's, you know, it's non-technical. It doesn't, it's not, you know, don't, you don't feel like I'm putting myself in any danger, especially if I'm exhausted and a bit worn out. So yep, hundred percent. good kind of compromise. So okay. it definitely was, uh, definitely wasn't, was an ass kicker in the middle of the night. <laughs> I can only imagine. And then, so did it end at Colossi Lake or did you have to run all the way, mm -hmm. all the way down to Missouri Gulch or how did that end? So, yeah, so I ended up, like, I kind of intended, this was my initial intent was to run down to Closey Lake toward Huron to hopefully if I had enough time to, you know, go back up Huron and then down the other side of that. Um, but end up being that I hit Missouri with about an hour to, about an hour till Luke's, um, Luke's time. So I knew that that even getting down under his time was going to be pushing it. So I kind of ran down pretty hard to get to the lake and, you know, about, with about 10 minutes to spare on the previous FKT. So just getting underneath it. Nice. Um, but knowing that I didn't have quite enough time to get back up, make it back up here on in the condition I was in at least. So I ended up at, I ended down at Closey Lake kind of, that was where I cut my time off. Um, okay. Okay. And then from there, did you have to hike down to Missouri Gulch mm -hmm. to where your crew was? Yeah. So then if, yeah, from there I had to hike out the road. Um, thankfully my crew and I had kind of coordinated that she was going to, come away, park the car at the bottom of the, um, Closey Lake road or, or at the Rockdale site down there. So she was waiting down there, but Perfect. had to trudge my way out and ford through the river in the middle of the night, which was always very pleasant. Oh, that's a little bit of a rude awakening. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> wow. So. Well, congratulations, man. I mean, it's, it's pretty fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, 11, 14 years and under 24 hours. Um, how much time did you have if, if you would have gone up Huron um, how much time did you have left to play with there? A couple of So I, I got to the lake. Yeah, I got to the lake with, uh, I said 21 hours and 50 minutes. So I had just over two hours to get myself up and over and kind of knew a combination of said, because of the, like, the inflammation in my lungs and how fast I was climbing, it was going to take me about probably about almost two hours to get up at that pace in particular. Yeah. Um, which was unfortunate because like when I had started out at Missouri Gulch, based on my previous kind of splits from the other mountains, I definitely was 
was going to be, I, I was definitely in a better spot time-wise to possibly add here on, on, but obviously, you know, things happen. It's a long day and definitely it's, you got to have a lot of stuff go right to really make those kind of goals happen. For sure. Yeah. Well, you know, you're experienced with all this stuff. I mean, you know, you've, you've been up against it before you've, you've made several attempts mm -hmm. at Nolan's before you finally made things click there. So you know what it's like mm -hmm. to, um, to go out there and, and have things go wrong and then to have a day where things go right as well. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> your experience there, uh, <clears throat> you know, pays off for sure. So you must have known mm -hmm. what you were doing. Congratulations, dude. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah, I definitely felt felt good about the effort overall and felt good about, you know, having a great day just running around the mountains. And as you said, like every time you go out the mountains and your body teaches you something new, you just got to listen to those lessons, learn from them, and then move forward, get stronger, get faster. That's you know, true. Whatever you can do. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you've, you'd hiked all these mountains before, hiked and ran all these mountains before. Was there any scouting involved or was it just studying uh, – studying maps or was it all pretty straightforward um so like i said i definitely i've done all of the, all of these mountains i've done at least four or five times probably even more than that actually for most of them yeah. uh, so i've done several different routes on, on numerous you know obviously the Sawatch area through from nolan's i've scouted all those both day and nighttime yeah. um, most of the front range stuff i've done both with friends and also at, at faster paces by myself and so I've done a lot of different variations on the routes. And then that's kind of how I came up, how came about the one on Quandry. It actually had, had done that as a loop, kind of checking it out and see how I want how I like the other option, the options that were available. And so um, definitely did a lot of scouting kind of of general routes and also pouring over maps to kind of get ideas of what, where shortcuts could be made and where, you know, time could be saved in the, in, in, in the grand scheme of things. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you prefer um, these sort of self-curated events over races or do you prefer races uh, more than something like this? I mean, for me, I think in general, I definitely prefer a lot more of the self-designed kind of adventure, adventure runs or kind of challenges. I don't know, whichever you like to call them. Right. Um, largely because it does, it allows me to, I, I actually enjoy, unlike some people, I actually really enjoy like the logistical challenge of kind of both putting it together and also conceptualizing it as well. Yeah. Um, so as you were alluding to earlier, looking at the maps and looking at the routes and just kind of like, like kind of trying to figure out all the logistics in my head and on paper as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been doing that kind of stuff a lot this year, especially because there have been races, which has been a nice refreshing kind of change of pace. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind, let's rewind a little bit. Like what's your story? Where did you mm -hmm. grow up and, and how did you eventually find ultra running? <laughs> oh, certainly. Um, yeah. So I, Grew up in California. I saw that San Francisco and spent time both in Northern California and San Francisco and then also in San Diego. Okay. Um, I mean, grew up in a family that did do a lot of hiking and camping. And so I grew up in the outdoors in general, but definitely not as a runner in particular. I mean, I played volleyball and soccer until through college. So those were definitely more of my normal sports at the, through those age, those age, age, ages. Um, but after college, kind of looking for some change of pace and some friends and I went backpacking and kind of got back into backpacking and hiking and like peak bagging and mountaineering. And so, um, I actually came into ultra running through a backpack, like a mountaineering and a climbing background, mm, okay. um, ran into some guys that were, I was climbing mountains with that were ultra runners. And like, we were just pushing a little further, a little further. And so we were doing like 20, 25 mile day hikes to climb mountains. And there one day they brought up, you know, you can run down these things too on the trails. And I'm like, you can run on the trails. That's <laughs> crazy, but awesome. <laughs> and so then it kind of, it kind of snowballed from there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. So, so it, did it start with more just adventures in the mountains or when did you eventually, uh, 
jump into your first ultra race? Um, yeah, it wasn't long after I kind of like, it's definitely started with adventures and big, long adventures in the mountains. I said, especially peak bagging and climbing mountains out in California. Um, but definitely my actually ran my first trail race in 2006, which was a 50 miler. Okay. Um, so went straight into like all, all, all the way in. So, so had you done, um, a definitely enjoy the experience. Yeah. Had you done a marathon? No, I am actually, no, pre, prior to that, my running career had been like some 5k local 5ks. And then I decided that after I signed up for the 50 miler, I probably should run a half marathon. So I ran a half marathon as a training run. <laughs> um, but other, other than that, I had no racing experience at all. And it was definitely just kind of like a, you know, throw, throw yourself into the fire and see what happens. I like it. Um, but it was a good, it was good experience, great environment, great, you know, this great community. And so definitely got sucked in pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and then was fortunate enough at the time I was living in San Diego, the following year I moved out to Colorado for graduate school and kind of fell in with some good people out here that I started running more trails and mountains with and started doing more, more kind of a combination of racing and then also just adventure runs. And okay. it's, you know, it kind of turned into the thing it is now where yeah. just, you know, going out to run for 24 hours straight is not, you know, something you just kind of do on a, almost a semi whim. And <laughs> right. <laughs> so what was your first 50 miler? Uh, it was the Bishop High Sierra Ultra, which uh, thankfully just got revived a few years ago out of Bishop, California. Okay. Okay. So right in the foothills of the Sierras right there. And what was that first 50 miler like? I mean, you, you hadn't done a marathon previous to that. Um, was it, mm -hmm. did it just end up being a death march or did you feel pretty good about it? Or how did it go? Uh, I felt pretty good about it overall. I definitely looking back at, you know, obviously made a lot of mistakes as most of us did in our early careers. And, um, and definitely was a lot of learning experience from, because I had come from more of a, like I said, a, a kind of a fast hiking, speed hiking background and climbing background to actually throwing the running and the running side of it and learning how to, you know, run more consistently. And so, um, did, did okay overall, right. Finished in about 12, uh, about 10 and a half hours on that course. And I think it was, might've been top 20 or top 30. So very, very respectable for a first run, I, you know, looking back on it. Yeah. Um, but it was, as I said, it was definitely a different time back in 2006 and, I think I was, I finished second in my age group because there were four people in my age group under 30 at the time. <laughs> nice. So, man. I miss those days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, looking back, what were some of the mistakes you made in that first 50 miler? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing is the, the, so the Bishop area for people who haven't been out there is kind of, it's, it's kind of high desert, right? At the edge of the Eastern Sierras and the foothills. Um, so it's actually pretty open and exposed and actually fairly warm considering it's, even though it's at like elevation of 5,000 to 9,000 feet or so. Um, so I got very dehydrated, didn't really know anything about electrolytes and salts and stuff like that. And like, you know, keeping myself hydrated and definitely that was kind of the big downfall was just kind of like just cramping up and feeling nauseous and kind of having to push through that. Um, also just, you know, not having the running training experience, my mileage was probably capping at about 40, 35 to 45 miles a week running. Okay. When I was training. So definitely, you know, kind of some of that's increased as well since then to kind of give my body a little bit more, a little bit more used to the pounding as well. For sure. Um, yeah. So after that 50 miler, did you go home and start researching, um, you know, why am I cramping, researching electrolytes, all that good stuff? And, or how did that all shake out? Uh, I didn't that year. Yeah. So it was actually, so the race was in May and then I spent the, spent the rest of the summer kind of like climbing and then moving actually out to Colorado in that the following August. Okay. So only a couple months later. Got it. Um, so, but spent most of the time kind of focusing more on mountain running. And then the following year I actually signed up for several races in Colorado, the Greenland trail, 50 K San Juan solstice, and then Leadville, of course, okay. like everybody at the time. Yeah. Um, and so I spent a lot of time that summer, definitely kind of trying to, you know, running around the mountains in Colorado and trying to figure out a lot of these things. And thankfully also met a lot of the kind of the, the older crowd of the ultra running community that gave me a lot of tips and pointers. And so learned from, learned a lot from them that year. Okay.
who were some of the people you were learning from back in those days? Uh, a couple of the, a couple of the big folks I was learning from were Peter Backwin, who a lot of people know his name. And then his uh, wife, Stephanie Arrett, who is a, um, not really as well known just not because she's not as public, but used to hold a lot of old Colorado records in the ultra running community as well. Mm. Um, both Boulder folks down here. Yep. Yep. How did you get linked up with them? I was actually through the Boulder trail runners. And so I was actually originally living in Fort Collins for graduate school, but kind of found out about the Boulder trail runners just through the internet and, and through other people I'd met on trails. And I was I started coming down to Boulder on the weekends to run around in the mountains down here before I lived down here and started meeting more and more people and just kind of growing community basically. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So they gave you uh, some tips on how to finish that first lead bill. Yeah, they gave me a lot of tips. I ignored some of them and I paid for that as well. And, you know, learning those lessons the hard way, the whole going out too hard and not eating enough and <laughs> the standard issues that most of us suffer from in our first hundred when we're young and strong and invincible. As we all do. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. Mm -hmm. Wow. So uh, what were the differences from, from back then till now? Like you ran Leadville in uh, 2007. Um, was there any big major differences then? I mean, I'm guessing the races were smaller. Yeah, it was definitely a very, it was a very different environment. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was somewhere around maybe 350 start people that started that race that year and like 220, 250 that finished. Okay. So that's so like, it was definitely size like just size wise. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the size wise definitely very different. Um, the feel actually wasn't too much different. I mean, it's definitely with lifetime, it's a little bit you get more corporate feel a little bit, of course, it being a bigger race now too. And at the time, also, even those, I think it was just after Born to Run had come out, it was definitely much more of a Colorado-centric race, and there was a handful of people from out of state, but it was definitely much more of like the Rocky Mountain region in general. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, was, it wasn't as nationally known at the time as it is nowadays, or internationally known, I guess. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay, so you finish your first 100 miler. so like, where's your head at right right about that point in time like are you looking forward to, to more 100 mile races or when you finished that was it like oh my god i'm never doing this again or or what were your thoughts at that time yeah and the initial thought definitely was that like this was the dumbest thing i've ever done and i could i could barely walk for like a week afterwards i was i, I wasn't very undertrained and very ill-prepared and definitely paid for it for like you know a week or two afterwards i actually had the uh the naive thought that after i finished the level 100 like you know, I was going to finish in the middle of the night because I finished in 24 hours and then I just drive home on Sunday to be fine. <laughs> and so driving home on Sunday, I didn't even make it home. I made it to my friend's house in, in Louisville and I was in Fort Collins at the time and ended up sleeping in his house for five hours because I was just so destroyed. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And had you caught the bug at that point? Did you know you were going to continue on this path? I definitely knew I was going to continue in like the, the kind of long distance trail and ultra, like kind of the ultra scene, mostly because like I said, the, I was definitely by the end of two, 2007, very hooked into the community and just the, like just how open and friendly and just supportive the entire community was relative to so many other things I'd been a part of in the past. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know that it would be kind of snowballing to the point it's where point where it is now where, you know, like looking at like a Nolan's or a tour de Giants or, you know, hard rock or like UTMB, those are things I look forward to and specifically seek out. Um, so definitely it's come to a, a level that I didn't expect it to. For sure. Meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you first hear of Nolan's 14? I uh, first heard about it is, I can't remember exactly when it was, but back in 2008 and I was at, uh, I think it was a pacing and kind of like becoming more involved with the hard rock 100. Okay. Um, it was talking to some of the guys down there and they were talking about kind of a line down there that some of them had done, you know, six or eight years prior 
or when they were doing the actual races in the early 2000s. Mm. And it just, it really piqued my interest because, you know, I said I started out as a peak bagger and a kind of a mountaineer and it was kind of combining like this new love of like running trails and running mountains with this just, you know, summiting and peak bagging and linking up all these, these, these mountains. And so, so that's kind of when I started scouting was in 2008 and kind of looking at all the different lines and the link ups and kind of what was possible. And it was a, it was a different time than back then. I actually ended up emailing Blake Wood and Eric Robinson and John Robinson, a couple of the original guys and physically getting their written trip reports. Cause I couldn't find any other information about the specifics of the routes at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was just nothing online. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So. So they helped you kind of piece this thing together and you, you weren't, mm-hmm. I, I know you had a couple unsuccessful attempts out there and it, it looks like you didn't really put it together mm-hmm. until 2012. Um, what were those years mm-hmm. like? Uh, was it just summer after summer of going out there and scouting and trying to get this route down and then an, a, an attempt and it wasn't, it didn't quite go your way and then just back off and we'll try it again next year. Or, or what did those years look like? Yeah. So it's kind of a mix of things. And so, um, is it started out initially just getting a lot of the information from all those guys and then trying to like look at the maps and kind of like conceptualize, you know, what these verbal descriptions actually f- f- formulated into on a map and on a route and then putting it on the ground, of course, at the time. Um, so it took a lot of, a couple of areas took definitely a lot of exploring and numerous different tries to kind of just figure out, you know, like a decent line that wasn't like horribly painful just to get up and down. Uh, Mount Princeton being, of course, the big one. Right. <laughs> but and then those, yeah, over those subsequent years, actually, my main goal actually was, I'm trying to remember the exact year, I think it was like 2009, to the 8, 2009 and 2011, was actually to just link together certain segments of the route. And so uh, during those attempts, I'd actually never intended to do the entire line. Okay. Um, so the, the first one I intended, I wanted to go out and I wanted to try to get over Princeton, but only made it over Yale. Uh, or sorry, maybe I wanted to get over Yale, but only made it over Princeton. So that way, and then the next time I made it up and over Yale, going from south to north, and then the and the last like big kind of link up was from the north side heading all the way down over Yale and finishing it down there. Okay. Um, so for me, it was really about kind of not only learning the line, but also like figuring out, okay, how does my body respond? Not just to, you know, like 12 hours, 14 hours on the trail to 24 hours on the trail or 36 hours on the trails. And, and you're kind of learning how to not only just like manage the sleep and the fatigue, but also the fueling and the hydration and all those mistakes I'd kind of made early on in the career. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so you were exploring this this line from north to south and south to north, and just really getting mm-hmm. getting it dialed from both directions. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Do you have a preference? You were successful north to south. Yeah, so I mean, I obviously I can't really say specifically, you know, for my Finnish perspective, but you know, I think they both offer their own challenges and. I think it definitely from for for me at least where I have where the crux is where it's hardest for me. I think it's been it would be beneficial if I go back to do it from south to north, um, because definitely the off trail the long stretch over Princeton not only because it's all off trail but be with the the route finding and the rocks and then also the longer time between cruise stations yeah. <clears throat> is one of the biggest hurdles for me personally. And so, oh, it, but then on that route it does put three big mountains at the end where you're. You know, you have a good 4,000 feet, 4,500 feet of climbing for three different peaks in a row. Yeah, no kidding. So there's definitely different challenges depending which way you go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What are your thoughts on the popularity of, of Nolan's over the years? I think it's cool that to see people, more people going out and exploring it and definitely kind of getting off of those main trails and off of those beaten paths. And um, it's interesting because it definitely the the they just kind of the style of the route has changed over the years definitely for sure and i actually really noticed it when i came down missouri on this past 24 hour attempt um 
is that when I was coming down the West Ridge, down to Closey Lake, there never used to be a trail there. Now there's a nice trail beat in all the way down to the lake, mm. which is uh, was quite surprising to me. And definitely, I think it's because of the popularity of the route and just the popularity of people not even not even attempting the whole thing, but just out scouting the line and scouting out the different the different lines and options. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I definitely think it's cool to see people kind of once again exploring a little bit more and not just getting on the standard routes and standard lines. For sure. Yeah. So you're you're fully in support of people going out there and going after it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, with any outdoor activity endeavor, I want everybody to be responsible about how they utilize the outdoors, and you know, and obviously leave, leaving no trace or as little trace as possible, and and definitely being good to the people in the line and share, making sure that to understand that we're all sharing the mountains with people that are climbing one mountain or two mountains. It doesn't matter what they're out there doing that day, but we're all sharing the mountains at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So you didn't have a GPS or anything to follow back in those days, right? You were just literally piecing this all together via maps and just ex- going out and exploring. Um, I had a, I had an old GPS, one of like the handheld ones that I use for like just kind of some mapping out general stuff. And so I'd put the I'd go out and scout the lines and then put that on the map, and then I'd be able to see exactly where it lined up on the map. But I didn't have a, like a mapping GPS or like you know or no, people people now do nowadays with their their the phone you know at the ready or a preset tr- GPS track they're just following. So none of that was available at the time. And I don't even know if any GPS tracks existed until maybe Jared and Matt might've created one when they did theirs a couple of weeks before I finished mine. Okay. But that might've been the first time that it was more publicly available. Got it. Okay. So it took you like three or four years to finally get this thing done. Um, and, and you've mm-hmm. got a huge resume when it comes to ultra running. You've done all kinds of races. Is, is Nolan's 14 one of your proudest accomplishments? I definitely would say that it is um, because as you mentioned, it, I, I spent, it's, it was kind of a labor of love and like I spent so much time out there scouting the lines and kind of figuring every every piece of it out and learning all the mountains and learning all the, like the, you know, the random sections of the woods and everything else. And it's become kind of like almost a second home to me, kind of a back in those back areas and connecting all those mountains together. And so definitely it still has kind of a special place in my, kind of like in my, my heart, my history of like my ultra running. Yeah. And so I still love going out and kind of connecting together a couple of the mountains at a time and, you know, by, by those obscure routes and seeing all those back, those, those back areas that nobody else is in. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that like there's the Nolan's 14 Facebook page, which I know you and I are somewhat active on. And, and I noticed that you respond to a lot of the, the people on there. You give your comments, you give your little two cents and uh, <laughs> um, you're helpful. You're helpful to people. If people ask questions, you're one of the first people to jump on there and, and offer an answer which, um, you know, shows your support. I, I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely. I'm fully in support of people going out there and kind of pushing some of their boundaries and exploring a little bit more. And, you know, it's because we often get sucked into kind of what's easy and what's easily accessible. And I think you gain a lot more, just not, not only experience, but also a lot more just kind of from the mountains when you get off into these, these more obscure areas and kind of away from the rest of the crowds as well. And you really get to see kind of what makes these, you know, the, what makes these mountains so magnificent and, and all, when you find these like little hidden corners and it's just you and nobody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are beautiful moments. When you, when you finally completed Nolan's, did you feel like you had that route a hundred percent dialed or was there still some sections that you were kind of on sighting? Uh, no, I definitely had the route hundred percent dialed in, <laughs> in a perfect, in perfect circumstances. Okay. Um, when I finished, I definitely did not hit it perfectly. And some of and most of that I chalk up to, just, you know, the sleep deprivation, the delirium. And like, so definitely, I mean, the biggest mistake coming off of Princeton, like I was just, I was so unaware of like kind of where I was on the mountain 
I turned down a goalie way too early and spent about half an hour just hacking through like some of the worst talus and scree I've ever been in <laughs> rather than taking the nice smooth line that I had scouted and knew really well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It happens out there with, with that much uh, sleep deprivation, oh, yeah. 60 hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what sort yep. of problems were you up against with the sleep deprivation? Were you hallucinating? Did you have stomach problems or anything like that? Or what did, what did that look like? Uh- so yeah, the sleep deprivation is mostly just a kind of a lack of awareness and just the kind of my, my perception of reality was just not very good on that second night. And so once again, going up Princeton, I wasn't like, I couldn't really kind of, kind of put together where I was on the mountain very well. Right. Um, and I also did have, it was actually the first time I'd actually had a real bad asthma attack was on, was going up Princeton that night and didn't have an inhaler at the time because I wasn't really aware that it was an issue I had. Um, so definitely it caught, added to the, the long struggle, unfortunately, mm-hmm. for that for that part of the route. Yeah. 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 At that point, it's like drunken route finding almost. It's just, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so that was 2012, but you had done a bunch of 50 milers and 50 Ks in the meantime. And so you were sort of building mm-hmm. up your resume. Um, and then it looks like you did Western States in 2010. So that was before Nolan's as well. So you were like fully mm-hmm. immersed into the ultra scene at that point, right? Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. I'd run, yeah, we had four or five different hundred milers plus a bunch of fifties and obviously lots of mountains in between and, you know, things like the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim and the Zion Traverse. And so, so I had a lot of like those both kind of like race based and also backcountry based kind of like long adventures under my belt. And so I'd, it was a, definitely there were all of those, I think were contributing factors to helping me finish the line, you know, learning like once again, learning about those early issues I had with you know, either hydration or electrolytes or fuel or food or sleep or mm-hmm. you know, like putting all of those pieces together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, eventually you made your way to Hard Rock. What year was that? So I finally got in in 2014. Um, I started putting in in 2008 was the first year I put in for Hard Rock after after I finished Leadville. Okay. Uh, so I had a nice long nice long wait. <laughs> it took you a while to get in. Okay. So that must have been mm-hmm. rewarding when you finally got in. What was your experience like there? Yeah, it was. Def- it felt it felt good to finally get in. And you have a chance to you know after years of pacing to get on the get on the course and be a part of the actual race itself. And um, it was one of those events that you know even after pacing for six years or so once you're in the race and like, just like the, you know, the course takes on a whole different, it's a whole different world and a whole different level. Well, so pacing is just, you know, it, it, it just isn't the same for sure. Um, so to experience it from that race side and kind of the highs and the lows that come along with trying to race, race on that course in particular, definitely was a new, a new challenge and something I'd, you know, I've been trying to get back into, but I've still, still on that waiting list to get back in again. Right. Yeah. As we all are, did you go clockwise mm-hmm. or counterclockwise that year? I went clockwise that year. So yeah. So. Okay. Got it. Okay. Is that, would you consider that your favorite race? I, I mean, it's definitely up there in like the, in, in the races like that and like UTMB are definitely two of the races for very different reasons, of course, but the two of the races I really enjoyed the most and really love not, not only from like a mountain scenery perspective, but from like an environment, like in the kind of a culture perspective as well. Okay. Okay. What was that culture like doing UTMB? Uh, actually, so I actually I did, did it once in DNF and then second, did it a second time again, a couple years later. Okay. And I will say that UTMB is a, it's, it's such a unique environment from a trail running perspective. Um, now having run Boston as well, I can say it's definitely much more on like, more like Boston in the regards to the, just the overall energy and enthusiasm, like the crowds bring to that race. And 
I mean, you'd be running along this amazing mountain trail. You get to this high pass that's, you know, six or eight miles from a trailhead. And there's a dozen people up there ringing cowbells and just yelling and screaming. And it's, it's just, and then you roll into town and there's like a thousand people just like hanging on the edge of town waiting for you. And it's just a whole different world. And it's like, it's, the energy is very infectious and it just adds to a whole, like the, the excitement of the event overall. Um, I don't know if I don't want all my races to be like that, but it definitely was a really cool experience to have. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Totally different than hard rock in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm curious, when did you fall in with the Rocky mountain runners? Uh, it was sometime in 2013. Uh, a couple of friends that I'd run with at other, at, at, through like I think Boulder trail runners I'd met on trails at other times. And they kind of mentioned that there was this new group starting up that, you know, called the Rocky Mountain Runners, and they would come out. There was a handful, it was mostly on like that younger side, like the 25 to 35 age group at the time. And it was definitely, as kind of Ryan Smith will tell you, it was a kind of an age and like a demographic that wasn't really represented as a group, like a cohesive group in Boulder in particular. Um, so it was kind of cool to be able to get out with people of that kind of a in, in a similar lifestyle, in a similar life position as well. Yeah. And you know, kind of a, find that hybrid balance of like you know pushing yourself and challenging yourself but also just having fun and kicking back and being social at the same time. Totally. Yeah. Do you think running with them uh, helped your running game? Did you make any leaps and bounds after uh, you started running with them or what are your thoughts there? I definitely think so. It's definitely, it's kind of changed. It helped me change kind of my mindset in regards to kind of like how I approach ultras. And um, previously I, you know, I'm running a lot of ultras, I, I, but I've approached it more from like a mountaineering hiking background. And so, you know, just a lot of speed hiking and then jogging around jogging mm-hmm. and then running with people that had grown up more as, you know, competitive athletes, whether it be you know, cross country track and field or something in that, you know, grown up from a running background, it really forced me to learn to be a runner and, and they, actually to go out and just run basically. Mm-hmm. Um, cause prior to that, I would go out and I, you know, I'd go up and down green mountain or bear peak things that were not really runnable for the most part. Um, but didn't really have that, you know, that grinding gear to just go jog it out for, you know, like an endless and uh, a slow pace for a long period of time. And so that was definitely something that kind of like it forced me to kind of tra- to change and to transition and learn kind of like how to add new things to my quiver from a mountaineering and outdoors perspective. Mm-hmm. And was that mainly uh, running up and down Green Mountain on, on Monday nights with that crew? Uh, that's where it started, and it definitely kind of because it snowballed from there to you know just general runs throughout the week or week, longer weekend runs too, and and some adve- more adventure runs and a lot of different types of things as well. Um, but yeah, definitely it started on Green Mountain <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, who are who would you say are some of the biggest influences uh, in in your running world? I mean, you've been at this for quite a few years. Um, who 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 do you still look up to, if anybody? Um, I definitely think one of the people I look up to partially because he, he was one of the original guys who helped me learn kind of like the trade and also, but also inspired me that ultra running wasn't just about races. It was about the adventure part of it, it was Peter Backwin. Okay. Um, so when I fell in with him, he said my back first, when I first moved back to Colorado, back to or moved to Colorado, um, he said that kind of opened that door that a lot of this running could be applied to just going out and just doing really fun things. And, you know, taking that, you know, what four day backpacking trip and turning into a one day run or even like even non-running things and like you take it like you know, a lot of canyoneering routes and you can do some scrambling and thrown in there and so you'd be able to to kind of like hybridize a lot of these different activities into one long endurance event mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah you mentioned canyoneering and i think if i remember right you've linked up the elks before i've seen you scrambling up mm-hmm. and down the flat irons so you've kind of got that <laughs> um you, you're like the full package mountaineer almost you've got kind of a little bit of everything 
still learning, but yeah, definitely kind of dabbling in a lot of different things. And like I said, it's, it's nice because having a lot of those technical skills as well, does open up a lot of different kind of activities and different possibilities in, you know, both in the Utah desert or in the mountains of Colorado, mountains of California or anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. What was, uh, what was your trip out to the Elks like when you did that big link up? Ooh, <laughs> that was definitely a big adventure. Um, <laughs> I'd actually tried that one once before and then ended up in a kind of a basically a monsoonal snowstorm for 24 hours. So ended up bailing on the route for that, which obviously is not, it's not a good time to do that route. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, it was definitely, it was, it was a great feeling to finally put it. Like I'd, I'd gone out and actually been scouting all of those 14ers and linking those 14ers um, originally because I, I was going to try to do a speed climb of all the Colorado 14ers to break Andrew Hamilton's record. Ah. Um, so that's the original kind of reason I started scouting those guys. But it was nice to go back and then just to link them as a one a single unsupported speed route basically together. And I guess it was two was it two years ago, three years ago, now? two years ago now. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, Do you still have any thoughts of uh, the record of all the fourteeners? Do you still think about that? It, it definitely creeps into my mind now and again, especially when I do things like this, where I'm doing a lot of the a lot of the link ups and the routes and the logistics. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very daunting task because it's you know you're looking at nine days of kind of constant motion um not just from a physical physical mental perspective but from a logistical perspective and managing crews and getting all that kind of lined up and so it's a it's a big undertaking for a lot of reasons and definitely very daunting from a lot of reasons you got that right have you done all the 14ers at this point yeah i've done i've climbed them all at least once um, most of them is once again anywhere from two to five to seven times long speak 15 or 20 times and so I still still enjoy going up and down. I'm definitely try to find some new routes every time I go, though, which is kind of a fun little adventure as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, man. Like most of the 14ers, they just don't get old for me. Like I just love them every mm -hmm. single time. Even the ones on the Swatch range, I've been up some of them probably 20 times. You know, do they ever get old to you? Most of them, no. There's definitely a couple that are definitely low on my list of interests, and I've done a, I've done more out of necessity than out of desire. And sure, but uh. For most of those other ones, though, yeah, like you said, I, I love going up them and especially you know, trying them by different routes or trying different variations and getting off the trail a little bit and exploring or linking some ridges up to them. So yeah. still still enjoy them a lot. Yeah. So going back to like your family, it doesn't sound like you came from like a long line of, of runners or ultra runners or even mountaineers. What do they think of the stuff mm -hmm. you're up to? Um, I think most, most of them think I'm crazy kind of the standard, <laughs> standard fare. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do, I do have, I do have a couple cousins that are like they're triathletes and, uh, and cross and cross, uh, cycle, cycle cross racers. So they, they're in the kind of endurance world. And my mom grew up as a swimmer. And so my sister's also a swimmer. Um, I never picked that up though, but yeah. you know, the athletics in general was in kind of, was kind of in the family, Okay. but yeah. of, a, of a different Avenue. Yeah. Do they ever come out to your races? Yeah, I've actually had the good fortune. My, uh, I was back east, a year, I guess a year and a half ago, about two years ago now for Grindstone. My sister actually crewed me and paced me for a bit out there. Oh, cool. Uh, younger sister. Nice. Um, and my, then my little, nep my little nephew, who was five at the time, came out and crewed me <laughs> or helped awesome. crew me. Yeah. Um, and my, my parents have been out to several races, Hard Rock and Western States. They even flew over to UTMB and crewed me for all UTMB as well, which is awesome to have them there for that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. They must be really proud. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, man. Um do you have any like favorite books or anything that you would recommend? I know it's a little off topic, Ooh. but, um, you know, running wise, mountaineering wise or otherwise. 
I mean, there's, yeah, there's kind of a whole different, I mean, there's a whole slew of different kind of things. And um, for me personally, having grown up in California, uh, kind of the, the memoirs of John Muir are something that I definitely come back to. And it's, it's mostly to kind of like read the old stories about him just kind of walking off into the mountains and just adventuring around the mountains, you know, throwing a loaf of bread and some water in a backpack and, and just doing it and not thinking too much about kind of like all the gear and all the, like everything else and just going out and just, just enjoying the mountains. And it's something that kind of always has resonated with me in that regard. Yeah. Just trying to, trying to simplify and just kind of enjoy it for what it is rather than what you want it to be or what you hope it's going to be. Yeah. 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 Well, that kind of leads into my next question is I was going to ask you what inspires you nowadays. Is that pretty much what it is? Just throwing some food in a backpack and just going out and exploring? Yeah, it's definitely, I, I found, especially in the last several years, what really gets me the most excited is kind of the exploration, especially in a new territory and the new areas. And um, one of my actually ongoing projects I've been working on slowly for the last few years is to map out and kind of like develop and run an ultra marathon in every single national park that kind of highlights the best of whatever that park happens to be. Oh, wow. So it's been a cool way for me to kind of get off the beaten path. And like I've been to Kentucky and I've been up to Washington and I've been over to the East coast and like, you know, Tennessee and North Carolina. And so it's taking me to areas I probably would never have gone otherwise. And to see like, you know, sections of like our, our, our country that are, that have been preserved for very good reasons that, you know, that are just outside of our normal Western, you know, Rocky Western mountains and everything else. Yeah. I like that idea. How far have you gone with that project? So I am about 24 parks in right now. Um, so once again, all those are runs of range from 27 miles up to 65 miles was the longest, uh, longest individual one. Okay. Okay. So, um, so you're just looking for like the most aesthetic points in the park or what exactly are you looking for when you, when you are looking at a project like this? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of different things. Yeah. But it's, it's some of it's, you know, I, I, if I haven't personally been there before, I usually try to contact either locals or people I know in the area to ask them like, okay, you know, from a running perspective or a hiking perspective, what makes this park so spectacular? And what would you suggest, you know, that, you know, people are, if they're going to go see it, you know, what can, what would be the areas you should go see? And, and then kind of looking at the maps and kind of linking a lot of those together. And I mean, the, the, the premise came, came out of like the very, you know, the one that more people are familiar with would be the rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. Yes. So that was kind of the, the idea came from like that and like the Zion Traverse, like those type of things like, this is a way to see these all these amazing parts of this national park and like especially the backcountry in these areas as a single kind of one day big run and kind of ex to experience it from that ultra running perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty awesome. I like that idea. Do you prefer to run by yourself or with people? Um, I think that actually I had this conversation with a couple of friends when I was out in California earlier this year running around the Sierras. That I think they, I, I enjoy them both for very different reasons. I think running solo gives you a very kind of introspective and kind of very different look at the mountains and kind of your relationship to the mountains. But also when you're with friends and, and with, with good company, sharing those moments and sharing those experiences offers a whole new level of joy that, you know, that you don't get by yourself. And so I, I enjoy both of them for different reasons. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, do you have anything that's like left on your bucket list? I mean, it sounds like you're still working on projects. <laughs> like what does your bucket list look like? Is it like, I'm just picturing, uh, like a, a huge three ring binder that's just completely packed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not too far from that. It's, it's kind of merged into Excel spreadsheets now, but it definitely it's a it's an, definitely an ever growing list of things. And okay, so like I said the National Parks Project is a big you know there's about, I think there's fifty six or fifty eight of them that actually have runnable terrain in them, and so there's I mean, I'm not even halfway through that, so that's got a little ways to go. And um, things like Tour de Giants are definitely on my list. I, I'd like to do in, in the coming years, and then. 
there's actually even non, I guess, less running related, but more endurance related. I'd like to go back and do the John Muir trail again, um, since I've become an ultra runner. Okay. So experience that part of the Sierras where I kind of grew up and like learned kind of the hiking and running trade. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like every year I find out, I learn about something new that's, you know, that sounds really cool and exciting and it kind of goes on the list and okay. both na- nationally and internationally as well. For sure. Yeah. Does fast packing interest you at all? It definitely does. And like I said, I, I, I grew like the kind of my, a lot of my lead into ultra running came from the fast packing side. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd leave home in San Diego at the time and drive to the Sierras and go hike in 20, 25 miles, climb a mountain, camp out and then hike back out 25 miles the next day. And so like that kind of style definitely is very intriguing to get, get back, get back into more. So I definitely haven't done as much in recent years. For sure. Yeah. Um, do you cycle or ski at all? Uh, don't do a lot of riding. Riding's mo- like cycling is mostly me- means to get to a trailhead more so than anything else for me um, or to get to work and get around a little bit. Sure. Um, but I do, I do some, I do some backcountry skiing in the wintertime and definitely enjoy some good turns and uh, have never really gotten into the schemo side of things. And I think that's, for me, it's good because, it's a good time of year just to kind of take it easy and let the body recover and just enjoy being outside yeah. um, without having to worry about racing and pushing too hard. And so it's just, just a different mentality. For sure. Wow. Well, it's been fascinating talking with you, man. I mean, you've done a lot over yeah. the years and uh, like I said, I've always looked up to you as, as a runner, a mountaineer an adventurer. And uh, it sounds like uh, you're not slowing down anytime soon. So hats <laughs> off to you, man. It's, well. it's pretty cool. No, oh, thanks, Adam. Yeah, no, definitely trying to, I said, just trying to be out there and live a good life adventure, but also be healthy and smart about it. That's always the hard part. I love it. I love it. It's inspirational, man. Do you have any shout outs or anything you want to give to people? Ooh, uh, crew. Or... Not that I can think of at the moment, I guess. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah, I mean, get definitely, yeah, th- thanks to my crew, like, my crew, Misty, who helped me out in that one. I can't give her full name because she'd rather not be uh, on the public, but <laughs> oh, gotcha. Definitely okay. was a huge help. And she gave a, she gave a, you know, obviously a whole day worth of time to yeah. just kind of ferry me around the mountains and all the friends who've kind of, like I said, helped me along the way at both races and events. Cool. You know, it's definitely, it, it's a community. And so none of us can do this by ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, it takes a village. Well, God bless them all, man. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. do you have a website or anything that people can look you up on? or social media or you're on pretty much everything, aren't you? Yeah, I'm kind of on a lot of the stuff. So yeah, so I have a, a blog that I kind of update uh, at ericjaylee.com. Um, it's a kind of a mix of outdoor stuff. And actually also recently with the pandemic, since I have an infectious disease and immunology background, I've been writing little blogs about the, about the pandemic and about the science of the pandemic. And so if people are interested in learning something a little bit outside of the norm, okay, it's also on there as well. Cool. And then uh, mountain runner Ely over on uh, Instagram is kind of like the main the main social media I use just for pictures and adventures. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, once again, thanks again, man. Like I said, you're always an inspiration. So just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Great talking to you, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks a lot, Eric. Appreciate you. Yep. Bye. You too. Bye. All right. There it is. Mr. Eric Lee. It was an honor to sit down and chat with him, pick his brain a little bit, and uh, what a guy. Just a really cool guy. Really enjoyed that conversation. That's about it for now. If you guys need anything to help you do big things, give me a shout at big-things-crewing.com. If you need a crew or pacers for your ultra or supported adventure, we can help. Or if you need a coach, training plan, vitamins or supplements got your back 
Big Things Crewing is here for you, and we want to help. Life is short. Do big things, baby.